Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. So, um, as I shared last week, um, this is a special weekend um, for Jill and I, and so um, we thought um, we would talk about the myths of marriage. So, I'm going to invite my wife up to the uh, stage here. Um, We're celebrating um, our 30th wedding anniversary tomorrow. So July 29th, 1989 was our anniversary. And, um, you know, putting a talk together is not easy, but when you put a talk together with your spouse, it's even a little tougher. So I don't know how, honestly, this is going to go. But, um, (laughs) but, you know, Jill and I, you know, again, married 30 years ago, and we got a few pictures here to show you as we talk through our story. Like, here's our wedding picture 30 years ago. Pete likes to, you know, kid me around saying I look like Napoleon Dynamite in that picture. But but a few years after that, he started looking like Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. And I guess um, as we talk today, you maybe assume and sit there 30 years, uh, you know, you guys are in ministry together, that everything... Um, was hunky-dory, no problems at all. Well, let me, I'm, we're going to be pretty vulnerable today and just share a little bit about our story, and especially our first year of marriage was really tough. And then, you know, we counsel different, you know, marriages and couples sometimes, and one of the first questions we ask is, is there a teenager in the house? Because when we had teenagers in the house, it was one of the toughest times in our marriage. So, you know, we're going to be a little vulnerable and share a little bit of of uh, our background and, you know, just to share our family background, we have three daughters. And so this is uh, our middle daughter's wedding picture just past November. And so the couple on the left side is the one I talked about last week, Abby. She's our oldest and Mickey, they live in Plano and they're expecting our first grandchild in three months. So we're going into that stage of life. So we're excited about that. And we're excited about their getting involved in a church in Dallas called Watermark Church and gotten a life group. So it's really cool to see that happening in their lives. Ronnie and Alyssa, you, a lot of you know, because Ronnie and Alyssa grew up here in this church, very involved in our student ministry and, you know, have um, really had Mike and Beth, our, our student pastor and their wife, really invest in them. And we're thankful for that. Did this for a service. <laughs> <laughs> and when he cries, it makes me cry. I hate it. <laughs> so... Um, and then there's our, jeez. Uh, uh, <laughs> then our last daughter on the right just got home uh, last night, actually, or Friday night from being um, in a camp on, uh, in, South, in Panama City Beach with an organization called Stumo and just ministered there all, all summer. And so she's going back to Texas Tech as a senior here and she'll be off the payroll in a year, which will be really <laughs> exciting. So, Okay, so... You've got to hear our love story. So what happened was Dave and I met at Liberty University back in the mid-80s. And it was a great time at Liberty. But I need to give you a little bit of history about myself because it'll come in our talk some. I had dated someone from sixth grade all the way up until the second year I was in college. And he was going to propose to me. And all of a sudden I thought, oh my goodness, I haven't really dated around. I need to date around first. And I'm at this great Christian university. So what happened was, I... Uh, I and when she says she started dating around, let me just tell you, she still holds the record for the most dates in one day. 
at Liberty. Five. No one's been able to top it. She had five dates in one day. And so, and you got to understand, the twins were pretty popular on campus at Liberty. So Pete and I were just vying for attention. There was 10 guys in line, and we're no. just trying to find some time, you know? Get a little attention. Well, I had to make up for lost time, basically. Okay. Yeah. So what happened was... Um, Dave was on the baseball team and I was on a singing team. So we didn't really cross paths until our uh, last semester of our senior year. And I was dating a baseball player and it was short-lived. But I met Dave and um, he asked me to help him sing with this singing group. And then he gave me a rose and I was like, man, he's such a nice guy. And then he started saying things like, you know what, Jill, let's go to the chapel and let's start praying about our, yeah, you know, no your kidding. future and God's purpose in your life yeah, the old and my in the chapel future. Too. And I was like, I love this, man, this guy is so godly. Well, we were only together for a semester and uh, right before we left, there was an award given at the chapel to the most godly athlete and Dave got it. And I was like, oh, this guy, yeah. yeah. It wasn't Woo! big deal. I was like, okay, this guy is a real, he's a real catch. And a matter of fact, a few, we had only been dating a few weeks and I went to see him play baseball. Matter yeah, of fact, I think you guys have a couple. There's that was our very our first dating. picture. That's about 40 pounds ago. <laughs> hey, stop that. Me, no, I'm no, saying no, me, I know, I'm just, I'm just messing with him. So, oh, uh, <laughs> what? That was bad. No, that wasn't mean. bad. No, I was, it's fine. So, okay, there's another picture there, too, and it's when we're dating, and we had only been dating a few weeks, and um, Dave said, I want you to meet my parents, I'm playing baseball, and I said, oh, I want my parents to meet you, too, and so we went, and so he did a great job playing, and as we were leaving, my dad was driving home, and he said, Jill, he's top drawer, he's top drawer. And, I, and the chest hadn't fallen to the drawers yet, you know, so I'm like, what's that mean? So I was like, I, so I'm not just thinking this, this guy is really great. Well, like I said, we had only dated a semester and then we graduated. And so, well, it was less than a semester. And so then I went home to New Jersey, he went back to Pennsylvania and we started a long distance relationship. Well, as I shared earlier, I had that old boyfriend back in Jersey that I had known since sixth grade. So it just kept going back and forth. And you know that song back in We the, broke up a couple of times. Let's share that. Yeah. So we kept, we broke up. So like back in the late seventies and early eighties, that song reunited and it feels yeah. so good. We did that a couple of times. Okay. Well, one Christmas, which is an entire talk by itself. I'll share it with you privately if you want to hear it, if you're interested. But what happened was we had this big craziness that happened at Christmas and I flew down to Texas because we had broken up and I knew I needed help. And so I went to the Minerith and Meyer Clinic here in Dallas and I had some counseling. And a matter of fact, Carolyn and Jeff Wakefield were Gail and Pete's closest friends and they counseled me and all of that. So then I went back up to Pennsylvania or up to New Jersey. And then a few months later, we got back together and we got married. So that's just the gist of our story. Yeah, and I think what, um, you know, we learned um, in our relationship and down through the years is that everybody has a box. And we walk into our relationships uh, in our lives with a box. I don't know if I can get all this. I'm going to take yours. And so we come into our relationship with this box of hopes, dreams, and desires, and, um, you know, a lot of things impact our boxes. You know, some of it is related to how we grew up, what we've seen and heard, what we've experienced, um, some good, some bad. We, we try to bring the good things into our box and then 
um, get rid of or not have the, the bad things that we've experienced in our box. So I come into our relationship and I have a number of hopes, dreams, and desires. And like for many of you men, um, one of the things was that my wife would never wear something like this. <laughs> you know, I had other ideas. I have never and worn we had, that. And we have a lot of youth in the room today. I won't go into a lot of detail on that. <laughs> But that was one of the big, you know, one of my big hopes, dreams, desire. The other thing was um, one of my love needs, if you know anything about um, um, Gary Chapman and his love languages, is acts of service. Because you got to understand, I graduated from college and then went back and lived with my parents and my mom still ironed my shirts for four more years. Um, and actually, you know, she had a regiment. She made me breakfast every day before I go to work. And it was like a regiment, cocoa and toast on Monday. It was French toast on Tuesday. I mean, so when I walk into this marriage, I'm assuming I've got a lot of hopes and dreams and desires that my acts of service <laughs> will be taken care of. The other thing is I came from a family that we like to save our money. We really were pretty prudent, pretty, I wouldn't say, no, not stingy. We were you very were thrifty. Thrifty, yeah. that's the good word. We were really thrifty. They and were so, good with money. Um, you know, we wanted to save money. And then uh, another thing that we really was important to me was I, need, I was really looking for a cheerleader. You know, someone that would really cheer me on in the various areas of my life. And that was important to me. And then, of course, one of the things that was very important to me was my faith. And my faith in Christ, and I was really looking for a godly lady that would really spur that on and challenge me in my faith. And so that was really important for me. So I had all of these things that when I come into our marriage, I have all these hopes, dreams, and desires that I'm looking for someone to fulfill. Okay, so then, of course, I came into the marriage with the same kind of a box, except, of course, you can see mine's even fuller. But uh, Imagine that. <laughs> so... Uh, like I already shared, Dave was this godly leader that I was really looking for. That was on my list of, of men. And uh, then as a woman, you know, you grow up playing dolls and I wanted the house and then I wanted the babies. Notice she's wearing pink. So I wanted the, the babies and also money. Um, I wasn't quite as thrifty. Let's put it that way. I wasn't quite as thrifty as Dave and his family, and I, I spent money. I, I enjoyed spending money. I bought a car right before we got married, which that's another story in itself. However, with the car payment. Let me with the car that payment. Out. That wasn't great for the accountant. So that was one of our first fights that we ever had. Yeah. So what happened was um, I had never really written out checks. Okay, don't judge me. I, I just never had done that. So I wrote a check out for $29, and um, Dave comes home and he goes, why are we, have we overdrawn our, our bank account? We had $19 in there, and, and you wrote a check for $29. So of course, I'm bawling hysterically, and I go to our bedroom to the penny jar, and I dump the pennies on the bed, and I'm counting one, two, all the way up to, you know, 10 bucks. So that was one of our first big fights. But one of the other things that I had in my hopes, dreams, and desires box was just quality time. I thought my husband was going to want to spend so much time with me and I was really excited about that. So these are mine. And so one thing I want to point out is we had this foundation of our faith. And I'll be honest with you, when we share our first year of marriage, that's what saved our marriage was this foundation of our faith. But the one thing also, I think initially we walked into our marriage and we really thought about um, we weren't really, really ready for marriage and what was ahead of us. 
You know, because thought, we thought, well, we love Jesus and Jesus will take care of everything that comes in. Well, that's not a good assumption because we know the divorce rate in the church is just as high as the divorce rate outside the church. So yes, the foundation was important for us, but we also had to realize we had to be ready for marriage and, and be ready for it. Okay, so not only did I come into the marriage with my dreams, hopes, and desires, but I also came in with, I shared with you that relationship, that whole issue of, thank you so much, Kai. Um, you know, the boyfriend, the old boyfriend who I had spent so many years with. So I, that was baggage. And so with some of you guys, you might have had like sexual abuse in your background or maybe a loss of some kind or awful circumstances in your life or maybe some type of addiction. And so that also gets taken in with your marriage. However, and I, yeah. yeah. And I think that's one thing. Um, if you have those things in your marriage, let me just say, you have got to get those out of the dark and put them in the light. You got to deal with them. You got to be able to talk and communicate about it. But, you know, that's why we have in our, at Hillside, you know, we have a, a counseling director, Missy Snyder, on our staff that you can meet with and, and meet with her or one of our pastors and we can assess your marriage situation. And we use a lot of quality professional counsel, counselors that we refer people to. Sometimes you need that. You got to have it. You can't let it in the dark. That's why we've been talking the last couple of weeks about our Stephen ministry and hope groups and stuff because that is what that's there for. And the point is you can't leave that baggage and not address it and keep it in the dark. So it's very important. So the thing is about these boxes, really in the center of these boxes is me. I'm not really thinking about anybody else or he's not, it's just me. And so what happens is these dreams and hopes and desires, they turn into expectations of the other person and you want them to fill that need. So let's take a look at that definition of expectations. It's the strong belief that something will happen or will be in the case in the future, will be the case in the future. So you have these high expectations. And so what happens is these expectations become responsibilities and burdens to the other person. And you take those expectations and you really say, hey, here, here's my expectations. I just want to give you my box. And, and that is a part where that can be really detrimental to your, um, your, your marriage. And, you know, for me, um, you know, for that first year of marriage, you know, Jill gets married, moves into my hometown, and I just thought, well, she'll just go right into the flow of my life, you know? So, you know, the whole cheerleader thing was important to me. Well, you know, I still playing baseball three or four nights a week. Um, playing tournaments on the weekend. I thought Jill would just be happy sitting up in the stands just cheering me on <laughs> three or four hours a night. One night would be good, but yeah. five. Uh, that's stretching it even, okay. I think. So, um, so, so I come into that um, marriage and understanding, not truly understanding what she has in the box, but one of her main love language was quality time. Well, she, we're not spending quality time when she's sitting in the stands for three or four hours a night. Well, and he was also an accountant, so he, during tax season, that was busy too. And I was just, I was lonely. And we basically, at the end of that first year of marriage, got to the point of, we both have married the wrong person, which is a scary thought, you know, especially as a Christian, you're like, oh, we're never supposed to think that way. But then what happens is that me inside of you becomes I, eyes collide. And so um, when that happens, 
that can ha- uh, you can leave. And so that was something that I did. So I had gone to Texas after our first year of marriage, came down here, saw Gail and Pete, and they were like, no, Jill, you're married. You need to stay married. I said, I know, but it's just so hard. I don't know if, if we're really meant to be and all these kinds of things. And I was getting messed with in my head. And, and so, you know, um, I came to a point, and that's where that foundation in Christ and that faith really um, helped me. Because I went and I pursued, I came down to Texas and I said, Jill, we got to try to do everything we can before we get divorced. And so she came back to Pennsylvania and that foundation, we were able to really work at it. So this whole leave process, that's one of the things that you can get really possible results when the eyes collide. The problem is, is when you leave, you still have your box. And then you go and look for another relationship and you want to give someone else your box so that they fulfill all your hopes, dreams, and desires. Rather than, I've never talked to anyone looking for a relationship that says, hey, I'm really looking for someone else's box and what's in it so I can fulfill it. We all carry this box around and say, okay, I wonder who else can do it and who else can take it. That's why we see the divorce rate is higher in second marriages than first because we still have the hopes, dreams, and desires in it, and we want to give it to someone else. And so the next thing, a lot of times when eyes collide, is that you have someone that wants to win. Okay, so what happens is that person says, my box is the best box, you need to work out of my box, and I'm not dealing with your box, but you're going to deal with my box. And so the personality of the person that is the strongest wins and they coerce and they control. And it works for a while because a lot of times that other person is the pleaser and they please that person for a while. And the winner is like, yes, you know, I'm getting what I want. But really there's no happiness there. And eventually that, that doesn't work either. And then the third thing that happens sometimes and, and the possible results when, when the eyes collide is that you conform. You know, we become who we really aren't, you know, and uh, just to make the other person happy. And that works for a little while, but then you end up, you know, really not having respect for each other. And then the one that's the most common really is the compromise. And you're like, okay, well then I'm just going to do my box. You do your box. You do your thing. I'll do my thing. And it goes on for a while. And then all of a sudden, it's like, this isn't you know, going to work anymore. And the reason that's not going to work is because that's not what marriage was meant to be. There's no unifying factor. You're not staying together. The intimacy is gone. So what happens is the eyes win, but the we loses. Yeah, and then you know, when that we loses, you know, another problem that we come in with having this box of hopes, dreams, and and desires um, is that you know you really start becoming a have a debt debtor relationship. Um, we live in under the assumption that you owe me and I owe you, and this is not what God ultimately looks for or wants in our marriages. I mean, how much gratitude? Think about this. How much gratitude do you really express to people who do what they're supposed to do? Like, think about it. My mortgage company, when I send my mortgage payment in every month, I never get a letter that says, thank you. We appreciate your mortgage payment. If I'm five to 10 days late, oh yeah, I'll get a letter. Because, you know, it's just expected on it, you know? So I'm not gonna thank you when you do it, but we'll only bring it up when you don't. So we're not showing gratitude at all to our spouses. So the thing is, the question that you really need to ask is, what does my spouse owe me? And he really owes you nothing. 
or she. Or she. Because there's a good statement to think about here is that happy couples know that they owe each other everything but are not owed anything in return. You know, so that was, that's when your marriage really becomes fun, I would say. Because when you get, can get to the point, so knowing that um, what's in Jill's box was quality time, you know, I had to make some steps to understand that that's her her biggest love language and, and quality time was there. So I have to make some steps like, yes, she wants some quality. We talked about this last week, some focused time. Well, I got to turn sports center off, you know, and I've got to dedicate that time. The other thing that's developed in our relationship because I know quality time is I like to plan uh, places to go. Even when we had small children, we made it a priority to try to get a date night out get a sitter, get a date night. We would have our parents watch our kids so we would get a weekend away or so forth and now being empty nesters, I love, and she loves that I love planning those events so we just have quality time together. And I watched Dave play softball at church. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) That was fun. But to develop that attitude, I I think especially in the culture we live in, this whole me-focused culture um, you know, the only thing I can say, it's got to be a God-given, Holy Spirit-driven thing. Bottom line, you know? Um, and Jesus modeled that for us, you know? How, for how we need to live a selfless life, but especially in our marriages. So you can see yeah. this text. Okay, so there's, there, there are a lot of passages, not a ton, but there are several passages throughout the Old Testament and New Testament that talk about marriage and all of that. But I would like to show you this one um, that Jesus did. Now, prior to this passage, or uh, this is the Passover for the disciples, and it's what we call the Lord's Supper. And prior to this passage of scripture, Jesus is washing their feet. He's showing a servant leader. And so he then sits there and he says to them, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, this would have been a big deal. The, the disciples would have really sparked up because it says a new commandment. So he was really equating himself with God when he said that. And so the disciples up to that point had seen Jesus in action, um, you know, healing people and then saying, you know, the last shall be first, the first shall be last and serving and doing the, feeding the 5,000 and also saying um, the greater, um, the greater, oh, I'm sorry. No greater love. No greater love than this, but that you lay down your life for your friends. And the thing is that the disciples wouldn't have known it at that point, but a few hours later, Christ did go. He was arrested, and then he was tried, and then he died on the cross. And so after this point, the disciples would have known. Jesus says to love one another as I have loved you. That means sacrifice, like enough to give up your life to people. So if you're talking about just love one another, think about the gift of your spouse, how much you're supposed to love him or her. And this principle about, you know, loving like Jesus, you see all through Paul's teaching. When you look at the the letters Paul wrote uh, to all the churches, uh, you see this phrase, like Jesus, do it like Jesus, like, like love like Jesus. And so, you know, he does that and you apply that principle to all relationships but then especially to marriage. And you think about a very familiar text 
that is in Ephesians 5 where you see this verse. Ephesians 5.22 is where really most people begin when they look at a text related to marriage. And this is, you know, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Well, you know, I do some merit weddings and it's interesting that when I'm meeting with a couple, they always ask, well, so what are you going to teach? Uh, what are you going to say in the wedding? We don't like to hear that word. So. Yeah, so, so a lot of them say, you're not going to use that submit word, are you? And um, because, you know, it, it's uh, in our day and age, and if you're here today and not really cross the line of faith and, faith and not a Christ follower, you're probably saying, all right, here we go. Here we go. Here's this um, Christian, you know, uh, legalistic. This, what's, this is what bugs me out about Christianity. And you have these teaching that wives are supposed to be subservient to men. Watch how this passage really is done. done. Because when you look at the uh, text and you see how it is really written, this is how the original Greek text shows this. It says, wives as to your own husbands, as to the Lord. And you may, the ladies are probably jumping up and down. Yeah, it doesn't say submit. Dave says we don't have to submit. No, don't do that. I'll be called in by the elders this week. So the issue in Greek writing is a lot of times they would take the verb that's in the previous verse and bring that verb submit to verse 22. So you've got to look in this text. You can't start with verse 22. You've got to start with verse 21. And 21 says submit to one another in reverence to Christ. Here's Paul saying, like Christ, love like Christ. But he's saying now, submit to one another. So the men in the first century would be a little taken back by verse 21, by when Paul says one another. Now, who are you equating that to? Because in that day and age, you had a lot of, uh, you know, separations. You had, you know, the slave and the free man, the Gentile, the Jew, uh, and especially the men and the women. Because in the first century, women weren't even allowed to testify in a court of law because their testimony meant nothing. Remember Easter when Pete preached on Easter and one of the reasons that, you know, you can be assured that the, that the resurrection really happened is that if you're writing a story about the resurrection, you would never say that there were women that came to the tomb first. Because in the first century, their, their uh, testimony was worthless. So the men in verse 21 would say, okay, where are you going with this? But that verb in verse 21 comes to verse 22. And so it is proper to say, wives, submit to your husbands. But Paul lays the foundation in verse 21 to kind of say, submit to all people, submit to one another. And showing, showing that, um, you know, again, like Christ, but he wanted to make sure that the men got it. So he speaks specifically to the men in verse 25. And he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. So this statement would have been totally disruptive to the first century man. Because in this, you know, you're sitting in the uh, Ephesus church and, and you probably are a fairly new believer and you're reading this and they say, oh, I know what, what, what the end here for Jesus was. If you're saying I need to love as Jesus loved, as Christ loved the church, it didn't turn out real well for Jesus. In fact, he went to the cross and died for all of us. So for the husband to kind of say, now you're asking me to love with that kind of sacrificial love um, for my wife, that was a big step. 
and would have blown their mind and been very disruptive that first century culture. And it took time for them to, to take that on. And then he says, well, if you didn't get it because I talked about Christ, let me show you verse 28. And it says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves um, his wife loves himself. So we need to love and be thinking about your wife more than you think about yourself. So this entire text, Paul, when he's applying this principle of loving like Christ to marriage, he's stressing it as a mutual submission. It's a submission competition. We may have different roles in our marriage, but we're equally valued in God's sight. And so a good thing to think about when you think about marriage is happy couples know that it is a submission competition, that it's a race to the back of the line. Christian couples know that I have for you, I'm here for you because God was here for me. Okay, so how then do you get from the expectations from the other spouse to then back to the hopes, dreams, and desires? So we have a little bit of homework for you. First of all, know what's in your box. If you're single, you should know what are you looking for. And, you know, hopefully you're a Christ follower and that'll be the center of your box. But then, this is really important. Ask your spouse, what is in your box? And as ladies, we tend to talk too much or maybe you're not like me. I do. So at that point then, we're supposed to stop talking and to just listen. Yeah, and for men, you know, um, this isn't easy for us. You know, but when you ask that question about to your wife or, or your uh, girlfriend or whatever, and you ask what is in your box, uh, they may pass out first. You know what I mean? Uh, or they may like get angry. You, what do you mean? I've been with you 5, 10, 15, 20 years and you don't know what's in my box? You just got to take it. You got to take it like, take it for the team. You know, you just got to take it and be quiet and be silent. Ladies, if you ask your man, you know, your, your boyfriend or you ask your, your husband, um, you know, what's in your box, you know, be ready because the guy's probably going to say nothing. <laughs> I think the Cowboys are in training camp. I'm really happy about that, you know? So it's, it, you know, you just got to be prepared for that. But guys, let me challenge you on this. This is not, especially for most men, this is not easy to open up. It's actually terrifying. And you got, but one of the things you've got to do is she needs to know what's in your box. And, and ladies, I know sometimes it is hard because we're mad at them or we don't think they're doing what they should do. But affirmation, words of affirmation is a love language. And I believe men, you know, they're little boys growing up. They need to hear good job and thank you, honey. And you did great with that. And just give them that confidence so that they can, you know, actually share what's in their box. Yeah, and I, I got to, you know, share this that, you know, I didn't need, I found out I didn't need Jill in the stands cheering me on because I'm 25 years old. I'm not getting drafted. There's nothing happening. You know what I mean? Um, and so, but what she's really good at is taking that and still being an encouraging to me. And those words of affirmation, like most of you guys, you need that. And ladies, when you can do that, find any little thing you can affirm them with, it just goes really a long way. Because, you know, this is really the I'm all in question in your relationship. You know, for you to be able to get there, it says that I'm more interested in you than, you're, than, I, than me. It's, it's a game changer. It is the, this less self-question in your relationship, you know, and this is a good thing to, to think about. Less self-people are happier people. 
Less self-relationships are the richest relationships. You know, I talked last week about how do you find your true purpose? What you find out is it can't be about you. If you really want to have purpose in your life, you find out the purpose has a catch. And the catch is it can't be about you. You have more purpose in life when you start focusing on the other. And who else should we put focus on the most is our relationships if we really want them to succeed. Okay, so you could be sitting here and you're objecting because you're like, you have no clue about my husband. He works all the time. Or as a man, you might say, you have no clue about my wife's spending habits. Or you have no idea. Uh, My wife totally just makes our children first. Or my husband, all he ever does is watch ESPN. And so it becomes this tug of war type of thing. Got too big of a house. I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, Yep. Why don't we just throw the house out? (laughs) So we become in our relationships and it becomes a tug of war in our relationships. It becomes a struggle and we start pulling on each other. And then all of a sudden we get to a point and say, okay, well maybe I'll do this, but let's count to three. And when we get to three, we'll both drop the rope and stop this struggling. We get to that point. Here's what I want to challenge you with is that what Jesus did is he let go of the rope first. We didn't deserve grace. We didn't deserve salvation. But Jesus dropped the rope first and gave us that relationship with him to understand how he loved. So I know you may be going through, uh, you know, I'm, I'm afraid to drop the rope. It's about a trusting in God and really just being willing to drop the rope and trust him on it that he'll take care of you. And especially if you're sitting there thinking, well, my spouse isn't a believer, so I have to even work harder at pulling at this, at this rope. No, drop the rope and watch and see what God will do with you doing that. So let's close. And we want to give you a few takeaways beside your homework. Um, uh-oh. Uh, guys, I might have messed it up. I might have put the box on there. There it is. There it is. First thing. Yeah, is to just realize that your spouse is not meant to fulfill all of your hopes, dreams, and desires. Actually, if you're single, or if you're married, or you're a widower, or whatever, take your box and talk to God about them. And and to be honest, after that first year of marriage, and Dave and I committed, we were like in this, we both started really looking at centering our lives more on Christ in prayer and in the scriptures and in the Bible and then getting around um, even marriage marriages that were older than ours that were really showing these actions. And so to me, that, that, that was really important to do. And as your relationship with God grows, you know, think, one thing I want you to think about is that when you become a Jesus follower, you allow him to make changes in your box. I mean, I had to make changes in my box for that need of of words of affirmation and for her to be a cheerleader for me. I mean, God had to take that process and reprioritize what was in my box. So Jesus followers allow God to make changes in their box. And then the last point is just about submitting to one another, what we've talked a lot about. You know, Jesus followers go first. They drop their rope first because when we were dead in our trespasses, God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, and he, he dropped the rope and, and sought us out. And so in the same way, we need, this is the gospel, we need to submit to each other and especially to our, our spouses. And especially if you're going through a hard time, 
I don't know. I think it's important to, to tell yourself the gospel every single day because it, then it puts you in the right frame of mind to love those gifts that are in our homes, which we should love them more than the people outside of our house. And unfortunately, sometimes people are nicer to people outside of their homes than they are to the people in their homes. So that last saying up there, happy couples put each other first by going first with letting their rope down in an effort to be last. So hopefully there's a couple things, some homework for you, some takeaways. Um, we're going to close our service in a little bit different way. Um, we're both big country music fans. Um, it was when we moved to Texas. Yeah, we, we just We totally didn't like country music until we moved to Texas. Yeah. We were so one of my favorite movie. groups is a group called Dan and Shay. And um, a couple years ago, they wrote a song um, about, I think it was Dan's grandparents celebrating their 65th wedding anniversary. And so I love this song because it talks about from the ground up. We're going to build our home and our marriage on the ground up. And so for, for Christ followers, you know that that ground up and that foundation has to be your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we just want to play this video. It's by a couple named Caleb and Kelsey who are married, and it's just phenomenal. And um, They're believers, too. And we just want you to listen to this song. You can take your spouse's hand and... Just listen to the words, watch the words, and just listen to this song and let it minister to you, all right? Isn't that a great song? Just a great song. Well, we want to close today by, we just want you to stand. Um, I want to pray over those of you that are single. Um, Really pray for you because um, you have these hopes, dreams, and desires, and I really want to pray over you that you don't drop your standard. And you look for somebody that you can fulfill their hopes and dreams and desires and they can fulfill yours. So I want to pray for you. And then Jill's just going to pray for our married couples here before we close. All right, so let's bow. Father God, I just, um, I pray for the single folks in this auditorium, Lord, whether they're uh, young people um, and really haven't even thought about a dating relationship or maybe they're in a dating relationship or uh, even, um, you know, engaged, Lord, or been divorced, um, or Lord, uh, just pray for them. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage and strengthen them, that they would keep their standard high for the right person that um, not necessarily can fulfill their hopes, dreams, and desires, but that you can be the focus and the foundation in their lives to have you first in their life. Because when when we put you first, Lord, you're gonna direct our paths, that you know that if we trust in you, with all our heart and lean not in our own understanding and in all our ways acknowledge you, you will direct our paths. And so I just pray for the singles here that they'll keep their standards high, that they'll look for someone that's building that foundation from the ground up on you. And Lord, they'll understand that marriage is not about us. It's about serving and submitting to one another. And I just thank you in Jesus' name. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for, first of all, for your son, to demonstrate what true sacrifice and love is. God, thank you so much for couples in this church. And Lord, we all have our story, our journey that we're going through. So I pray, Jesus, that if there is anyone here today that is struggling in their marriage, that they will go home and that they will just talk about these things. Father, you want unity. You want oneness. You want joy. You want happiness. And so I just want to thank you, Lord, for that. And I just pray for each and every couple that they will draw near to you and that they will give all of their hopes, dreams, and desires to you, Father, and let you be the one that is the director in their lives. 
We thank you, Jesus, for loving us and dying on the cross and rising again and giving us our hope. You are our hope, Father. And we thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray.